This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. And a guten Erev Shabbos, I'm Mashi Lipsker. Delighted to be with you here on Chai FM on this very special Erev Shabbos. It is a special Erev Shabbos for many reasons. One of them, of course, is that we are approaching the wonderful month of Kislev. This is Shabbos Mevorachim Chaydish Kislev, which means... We are privileged tomorrow in Shul to bless the new month, the month of Kislev. And Kislev, of course, is the month that has Hanukkah in it. It is a month of miracles. Chedesh Ha'urim, the month of lights. It is the month of tremendous, tremendous potential. We came from Tishrei, a month full of festivals. We are still in the month of Cheshvan which has no festivals, and we move forward into the month of miracles and light. And so, we want to have a fitting preparation, and this Shabbos is certainly the time to do so. And the Parsha that we read certainly helps us to understand what it is that we need to do to access the blessings of light and miracles. This Shabbos, we've passed 6.15. We're going to light our candles by 6.18. The days are getting longer. The days are getting longer. There's time to fill them with more mitzvahs. This Shabbos, we will bless the new month of Kislev and also read the Parsha of Toldois. Toldois. History. The history of Yitzchak, Isaac, and his two sons, the righteous Yaakov and the wicked Esau, Jacob and Esau. The Parsha tells of the birth of these two, and it goes on to foretell their future. It speaks about well-digging. It speaks about Esau getting married. And soon after perhaps what we would call the highlight of the parsha, the mother Rivka, Rebecca, tricks her husband through her son Jacob into giving the blessings to his son Yaakov, Jacob. He had intended to give those blessings to Esau, to Esau, but by giving them to Yaakov, he actually gave the future leadership of the world to the Jewish people. The future leadership, which will only manifest, of course, when Mashiach comes. The firstborn was Esau, Esau. And Isaac, Yitzchak, intended to give it to him. But through Rivka, orchestrating something different, he actually blessed the secondborn, as it were, of that set of twins, and thereby gave the future leadership of the Jewish people to Jacob and the future leadership ultimately of all of mankind to the guidance that came through the children of Jacob from Hashem through his holy Torah. And then the Pasha ends when after Yitzchak Isaac recognized, he realized, he saw that Rivka, Rebecca, was correct. 
He then sends Yaakov to a place called Aram to marry a daughter of one of his relatives. It's a parsha of birth, of genealogy. It's a parsha of blessing. And it's a parsha of mystery. How could it be that a mother can guide her son to do something deceptive? And we need to know that everything in the Torah is a guidance for us because the word Torah means guide. In addition, we need to know that everything that the matriarchs and the patriarchs did is actually a symbol of what we would have to do, and not only a symbol, but an empowerment. My say ovois, Simon, unesinas koyach labonim. And so we need to examine what she did in order to understand if and when things like that apply to us. And so the Parsha begins with their birth. Rivka and her son and her husband Yitzchak had been childless for 20 years. The first 20 years of their marriage, they were without children. And when their prayers were finally answered and Rivka conceived, something strange happened. She suffered intense pain in her pregnancy. And when she went to inquire of God at the yeshiva, why is this happening? What is happening? She received a divine message. She was informed that she was expecting twins. She was expecting twins who would be totally opposites. Physically, they wouldn't look the same. Morally, they wouldn't behave in the same way. And that they were intertwined in that. Each one's success in pursuing his path in life would be at the expense of the others. And so there was this double identity Two nations are in your womb, said Hashem. Two powers will diverge from within you. The upper hand will pass from one power to the other. And knowing that everything in Torah speaks to us, we have to ask ourselves, what is the message to me? What is the message to me that there are two powers, two nations within us? And that two powers can emerge or diverge from us. Metaphorically, Yaakov and Esau, Jacob and Esau represent the two souls that we possess and their opposing drives. Each one of us has a yearning for the holy and are also attracted to materialism. We possess an inner Jacob. We possess an inner Esau. Our inner Jacob our divine soul, with its yearnings, its godly aspirations, its godly drives. But we also have an inner Esau, an inner Esau. That's our animating soul. It has selfish drives. So when our godly soul, our divine soul asserts itself, it weakens those materialistic tendencies of the animating soul. 
Let's talk about that. Our godly soul within us is a light. And when the divine soul overcomes the animating soul, it overcomes it in the same way that light overcomes darkness. Light doesn't have to actively exert itself to chase away the darkness. When you bring light, darkness simply ceases to exist. You switch on the light, where does the darkness go? It evaporates. It cannot coexist with light. Or it is only the absence of light. It has no reality in itself. With us, it's exactly the same. As soon as we let that holiness and goodness into our lives, the goodness that we possess because we have a divine soul, as soon as that holiness and goodness of our neshama begins to shine, then the selfishness automatically disappears. So how do we shine up our souls? How do we get them to be healthy and asserting and shining? How do we do that? That happens when we study the Torah and observe the mitzvahs. And it sounds like such a simple line. But the selfishness of that animating soul just disappears in the face of that goodness and that holiness. We'll be right back after this short break. This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. And a good nerve. Shabbos on Mashi Lipsker. And we are in a very special era of Shabbos as we prepare for the Parsha, which is the Parsha of history of the story of Yitzchak and his two sons, of Rivka and the blessings. It's also the Friday before the Shabbos on which we will bless the new month of Kislev. And the days here are getting longer, more time to do mitzvahs, more sunshine, more good mood, more ability to meet with friends and to share with them all the goodness and the holiness that is filling us up when we study the Torah. Indeed, there are no boundaries to doing mitzvahs, and Ahavas Yisroel, kindness, is the most valued one of all. But kindness, according to Torah, incorporates physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual kindness. And spiritual kindness means to know that the other is not just a body and a heart and a mind, but primarily a soul. And the soul, like the body, the mind, and the heart, but even more so, needs nurturance and nourishment in order to flex its muscles and to shine out, in order to be healthy and strong. So we go back to the parsha, And initially... There are no children, and then two are born. And it leads up to the second half of the Parsha. It leads up to a situation where the distinction between the two of them becomes apparent, that the one is a studious, scholarly, gentle, inward type, and that's Jacob, and the other one is a hunter, a hunter 
who has a passion for going out into the field, and the parents understand them dif- differently initially. Yitzchak, the father, sees this child, Esav, and sees this child, Yaakov. And he knows that in this world, we have a job to do. And that job is to subdue, subdue the physical and to elevate it to godliness. And he makes the calling. He makes the um, mistake, as it were, of seeing the strength of Esav, but in its holy source. Because potentially Esav was more powerful. Esav was more capable than Jacob. He had the potential to connect with the world and to elevate it back to godliness. But of course, he didn't nurture that side of himself, and he just got involved in the world, in the animating soul. His brother, on the other hand, looked like a yeshiva bocher, studying and just being removed from the world. So the father thought, no, he won't have the strength, he won't have the street smarts, he won't have the ability to interact with the world, to embrace the godliness in the world, and elevate it back to its source. And he sought to bless his son, Esau. He wanted to empower him to get the divine gift of blessing in order to carry out God's intention in creation of the world. Rivka saw it differently. Rivka had a keen sense of perception. She was also a very righteous woman. And when she became a mother, that early perception and righteousness that was there from the very beginning became very, very important, not only in the upbringing of her children, but in the future of the nation and therefore the future of the entire world. Rivka, observing her sons and hearing that her husband wanted to bless Esav, sprung into action. Yitzchok was engrossed in the holy words of Torah. Rivka observed her sons carefully. Yitzchok was tricked, as it were, by Esav. And Yitzchok, having been raised in the wonderful holy home of Sarah and Avraham, had a naivete, as it were. He believed the questions that his son Esav was asking him all about Torah. He believed that Esav already had that interest in Torah and coupled with his incredible, incredible, powerful soul, he was going to be the one who would subdue this world and make it a dwelling place for God. He was deceived by things external because Esau flaunted his uh, righteousness. He acted so from. Yitzhak didn't realize it's a facade. You know, Esau would come to his father and ask him these detailed questions about Torah laws just to impress him that as if he really wanted to know in order to observe stringencies 
really, really strict things in Torah. So Esav was really a hunter in every sense of the word. He hunted. He would trap his father with his wily words. Rivka saw Jacob's potential. And Rivka had a good relationship with both sons. And she greatly respected her husband. But she understood that she as the mother had more insight about her children's qualities and the direction in which they were going. Every time she heard the voice of Jacob studying the Torah, she loved him more and more. And a plan grew in her mind. She was going to do everything in her power to ensure that the cries of the righteous Jacob were going to be heeded, even if it involved deceiving her husband. Don't forget, she had been raised in the home in a city of tricksters, of wily, crafty cheats. She knew that way well, but she had remained righteous. But it was for the purpose of understanding so that she could guide history, that all that upbringing and information now becomes very important. And when Rivka heard that her husband was planning to bless the older son, Esav, she said to her son, Yaakov, I heard your father speaking to your brother, Esav. He said, now, my son, listen to me. Go to the sheep. No, sorry. Go into the field and bring me something tasty so that I may bless you. And Esav has gone out to the field to do exactly as his father had bidden him before he would be blessed. So Rivka called her son aside and said, Listen to me, my son. You go to the sheep and take two choice young goats. I'll prepare them with a tasty recipe just like your father likes them. And then you'll bring it to your father so he will eat and bless you before he dies. And Rivka was teaching her son Yaakov how to deceive his father and how to pretend he was Esau so he could get the blessings. And Yaakov protested. He said, but what if my father touches me? He'll realize I'm an imposter. I'm a smooth man. My brother is hairy. And then I will receive a curse rather than a blessing. And Rivka had a backup plan. And that involved further deceit. She was going to put hairy goatskins on her son's arms. She was going to make him as hairy as it were, or resembling the brother Esav. And then she said something else. She said, Let any curse be on me, my son, just listen to me. And the question is asked, how could she say that? And what message did Yaakov get when he heard that? But back to the story. Just as Yitzchak is finishing to give blessings to Jacob Yaakov, Esau comes home and he finds out that his father has blessed his brother.
Not only that, but as Yitzchak finished his blessing, his son Jacob, he realizes that he's given the blessing to the right son. And Esav comes in, and he weeps, and he says, but Father, haven't you saved one blessing for me, and so on? And the father says something very important here. Somehow he has realized that he has blessed the right son. And before, although it was unconscious, he now adds, Gam he should also be blessed. The blessing should remain his. So what actually happened over here? What actually happened? What actually happened here is... We have to look at Yitzchak and Rivka and see what the goal was over here, which was a united goal. Of course, as mentioned, Yitzchak realized that his successor would not be able to disassociate himself from the physical world. He'd have to go into the world to fight the negative forces there. He needed a son who'd be able to transform negativity into holiness. And although initially he believed that his son Yaakov was unsuitable because he was so removed from the world, he had such little involvement with physical reality. He was the man of the tent, the scholar who immersed himself in studies. He was distant from the world. He was in a spiritual environment and and that's where he loved to be. He didn't venture out. And he knew that to be in a f- spiritual environment requires much less stamina, as it were, than being in a physical environment and overcoming it. When we live in a holy place, surrounded by holy people, it's Shabbos, it's Shul, it's Yontif, it's Jerusalem, it's the Holy Temple. The environment uplifts us and protects us. But when we venture out, we need moral and we need moral strength, determination, perception in order to negotiate the world outside, and still remain loyal to things holy, to God's intention and plan in this world. Anyhow, what happens is that Rivka says, if anything happens, don't you worry. That curse will come upon me. What was Rivka intending to tell her son Yaakov, by saying those words, because every word of the patriarchs and every story we hear about them is actually a lesson to all of us. So to go back to the blessings being received, Yitzchak the father has a realization as he's blessing Jacob that this is the right son, that despite the fact that he did have holy tendencies, as it were, to be withdrawn from the world, he also at the same time had great, great strength to be able to bounce back, to be able to be perhaps shocked by what he sees in the world, and that is important, 
nevertheless not to retreat, but to remain connected to Hashem, knowing that everything is by divine providence and that his job is to bring holiness into the world. When Rivka said to her son, let any curse be on me, my son, not only was that a statement of greatness, but it actually was a lesson to the Jewish nation, to all of us, as to how to endure the difficulties of life. The Jewish nation has been in exile for thousands of years. We've been thrown from here to there. We've been in every nation, in every country, in every circumstance, through every challenge and trial. What is it that keeps us going? Rivka was telling her son and teaching all of us as well that to receive the spiritual powers from those blessings, self-sacrifice is necessary. If we serve God, but our service is limited by our own calculations, what will I get? Yes, Yiddishkeit is nice. It's a nice way of life. It's a good tradition. My Zayda and Boba did it. It feels right. Then we're actually limiting our dedication. We qualify that dedication by saying it appeals to us. When we approach our Judaism in that way, we cannot receive unlimited powers. We remain small. We remain below the ceiling of our own understanding and feelings. Rivka is telling us something else. She says to receive the spiritual powers from the blessings which are necessary for the nation to make it through exile, for each one of us to make it through our own trials and tribulations. Mesiras Nefesh, self-sacrifice is necessary. So she says, let any curse be on me, my son. Yaakov is worried that Yitzchak, his father, is going to curse him because he has deceived him. And Rivka says, don't make those calculations. She says, these blessings are essential. You have to do whatever it takes to receive them. Receiving the infinite powers for the Jewish people. You are the father of the Jewish people. And if you don't do everything in your power and beyond your power, all of that is at stake. They need those infinite blessings for their survival through the thousands of years that are lying ahead. And Rivka assures Yaakov, if your father curses you in the process, let the curse be on me. She's impressing on her son that they must forge ahead, regardless of personal risks, because this is vital for the future spiritual welfare of the entire nation. I don't matter. What matters ultimately is the unit, the whole. And Yaakov hears what his mother says. And not only does he hear it, but we hear it. And we understand that if we are to build this world, and if we are to build a future, and if we are thinking of doing something big, we have to be bigger than ourselves. 
We'll be right back after this short break. This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. A good nerve Shabbos. I'm Mashi Lipsker. And we're talking about the matriarch Rivka, who said there's nothing, nothing at all, that she will put above her son and therefore the nation that will come from him getting those blessings. Rivka can perceive what would be needed by the nation in the future to make it through the long and bitter exile. And her message was, it is self-sacrifice that is needed. Be bigger than yourself. Go beyond yourself. Don't think of yourself. Think of the goal. Know what has to be accomplished. And the amazing thing is, Hashem will help you to accomplish it and much more. In fact, we have a teaching of our sages. And the teaching is, if a person says, I worked hard, but I didn't achieve. Don't believe him. The person says, I didn't work hard at all, and look what I achieved. Don't believe him. If a person says, I toiled, and I achieved, believe him. And the Rebbe explains a beautiful thing. The word for achieving here is not to reach or to receive. It's to find. If a person says, I labored, I toiled, and I found, believe him. And sometimes a person has abilities that are so amazing. Abilities beyond abilities, extraordinary gifts and talents, but he doesn't use them. He doesn't access them. He doesn't develop them. They remain latent inside of him. And not only doesn't he live them, but gradually, as the Rebbe says, he puts them to sleep. They shrivel. They go to sleep. Much harder now to bring them out. And sometimes a person of mediocre abilities just works and stretches and uses every fiber of his being to reach for good things, uses all his time, all his energy, all his thought that he does have, and he's a mediocre person. Not only is the promise there that he will succeed, but the word used is matsasi, he will find. And a find denotes that it's like you get a gift. You just found it. Suddenly, you came upon it. You never expected to see it. It's like finding something that somebody else lost. The word to find means not that you worked for it, not that you earned it, not that you necessarily deserved it, or were the kind of person who would aspire for something like this. However, Matsasi, God gives you a gift from above. And not only that, if you keep on going, says the Rebbe, God can open incredible, incredible doorways for you and make you something you never would have been before.
It's all a matter of using what we do have and stretching ourselves to the limit. We live in a world where there are so many facades, the facade of a face, the facade of a body, the facade of a song, the facade of a, of a sportsman, a Hollywood actor. And we get very, very drawn in. I need to sound like that, play like that, look like that, move like that, succeed like that. And we don't. We need to succeed like us. We need to understand that we have a neshama, a soul, and it is perfect, it is beautiful, it is whole, it is pure. And that's our goodness, our strength. That's our power. And when we work with ourselves, and when we stretch ourselves to our limit, we find that we have grown so much. We have actually achieved things that we never dreamed possible because God gives us his gifts. He meets us much more than halfway, but the work has to start with us. And Rivka was telling her son, and she was telling all of us, that we will endure, but in order to endure... We need something called Masira Snefesh self-sacrifice. She impressed it on her son and she impresses it on us. How? By example. She was willing to take personal, uncalculated risks for the benefit of the Jewish people. To go beyond the letter of the law. To go beyond with passion, with involvement, and basically with dedication, with an eye toward the goal. Nothing matters except achieving the goal. Nothing matters except being able to nurture that absolute future. And being one of the matriarchs, that was something that she and the other matriarchs did par excellence. Rivka showed this uncalculated enthusiasm for mitzvahs, for holiness. And she said, the secret ingredient, the essential ingredient, is that passion. And passion uplifts one and tells one nothing's more important than getting there. And yes, there will be difficulties and there will be problems along the way. And we may not succeed in the detail, but we will succeed in the goal. And that each one of us must do our part as a part of the unit to make it all happen. We may not be able to do every mitzvah, but every mitzvah we do brings the future of the time of Mashiach and peace in the world closer and closer. Yes, we may not be those giants, but our mitzvahs are giant. And those before us might have accomplished the bulk of what had to happen. And we need to finish up with the details. But our mitzvahs will complete those. And Rivka showed us the way. It's not about thinking I'm so small, 
What can I do? It's not about thinking. Look at the risks and the dangers. It's about moving forward toward the goal with this unbridled passion and enthusiasm. Over and over again, we've seen how an apathetic approach to Yiddishkeit is, God forbid, the prescription for obliteration. We cannot approach something as vital, as infinite, as holy, as powerful, as real, as our Judaism, in a kind of pathetic, parava, kind of a, a weak sort of way. We cannot be apathetic. We have to be passionate. We have been preserved throughout the ages with our stubborn vitality, our stubborn not giving in, in the keeping of one mitzvah very often. The answer has been no, I don't work on Shabbos. No, I don't eat non-kosher. One does not know the value of this in the bigger world's in the higher worlds and in the bigger picture. We have to realize that we are an important player in this grand finale which is about to take place. We need to be stubborn now more than ever. We need to believe in and demand that Mashiach comes. We need to demand the redemption. And it might seem so naive might seem foolish. It might seem excessive. What are we going on about? But this uncalculated desire for the future, for the redemption, for all of mankind not to suffer anymore, that's what's going to make it happen. And we don't just desire in our minds and with our words. We do something about it. And never underestimate what doing one thing, one thing which takes effort, one thing which takes inner strength, can actually achieve for all of mankind. So I'm going to share with you a story, an inspiring story, which has meant so much to me. And it's actually a story that happened in Russia. And the Jews in Russia were suffering. There were Jewish people who had belonged, who were belonging at that time to the Haskalah movement. These are Jews who had become distanced from Torah. And their plan was to turn the Jewish nation into a secular nation, that you could have culture and you could have tradition, but no Torah and mitzvahs. They wanted the Jews at that time to dress in a modern way, behave like everybody else. And they actually, at one time, did their utmost to make it happen. In Russia then, they knew that if they could force the rabbis to study secular studies in non-Jewish schools and in universities, then ultimately their congregants, the people, would follow their example and gradually Uh, Forget the Torah. They didn't call it that. They said, of course we want Torah, but we also want to be secular. And there was this very important meeting that was was held in order to discuss plans to make that happen. And 
members of that movement and many rabbis took part in the meeting and they came up with a plan. The majority decided to present a request to the Russian interior minister and ask him to force every rabbi to A, study foreign languages and B, study secular studies and all in universities. And only if they would pass all their exams could these rabbis now serve their congregations. Well, that interior minister hated the Jews and would surely agree to such a request. And that's the background. Now, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe was Rabbi Dov Be'er, Rabbi Sholem Dov Be'er, the Rebbe Rashab. And he was extremely, extremely concerned about this new decree, which had a possibility of being passed, because if that would happen, it would have a negative effect. It wasn't about being passionate in Yiddishkeit. It would actually make people apathetic to their Judaism. And he and his son, who would later be the sixth Rebbe, were discussing it. They were in Moscow at the time, and when the son asked the father, what can we do? The Rebbe said to his son, you have to stay in Moscow and take it upon yourself to abolish this harsh decree. And the son asked, how hard must I try? And the Rebbe said, you have to do everything you can, even if it means risking your life. And God will help you and you will succeed in abolishing that decree that now threatens the future of the Jewish people. And so the son remained in Moscow and he didn't know what to do. And there he is in the streets of Moscow and suddenly he meets a friend, the hand of God. The friend is Baron Ginsburg. And Baron Ginsburg asked him why he looked so worried and he said, come to my hotel room, I'll tell you all about it. And once he told him everything, he said, maybe you have an idea for me. So Baron Ginsburg thought and thought. And after a while, he had an idea. He said, I've got it. I have an old friend who used to tutor, who used to mentor the interior minister when he was young. Let's go to him and let's ask him if he can have any influence on his former student. So they managed to make an appointment and they managed to go there. And he went with Baron Ginsburg and the three men were engrossed in a most wonderful, wonderful discussion. And the, the tutor actually liked the Rebbe very much, the, the future Rebbe. And there was a very lovely vibe of respect and warmth between them. And the old tutor asked Rabbi Yosef Yitzchok to come and visit him again. He says, you know, I'm an old man. I don't see many people. It would be my honor and my pleasure to speak with someone as intelligent as you. Please come and visit me again. So, of course, the previous Rebbe, who was not yet Rebbe then, began to visit him whenever possible. And finally, on one of these visits, the 
previous Rebbe broke into heartbreaking cries. He cried and cried like a child. He couldn't calm himself down. And the old tutor was stunned. He couldn't understand what was going on. And finally he said, please, please tell me why you're crying. Maybe I can help you. And then he told him the details of this new decree. And then he said, please, you were the minister's tutor. Surely you can influence him against accepting that proposal. And the old man, in a painful voice, says, he said, I'd love to help you, but I'm afraid I'll never succeed in influencing him. By nature, he's harsh and stubborn, and he doesn't listen to anyone. You have to find another way. He said, I will think about it. Give me a few days. So a few days later, he came to him, and they sat together. And before they sat down, the old tutor did something he'd never done before, and that was that he locked the door. And then he said, I have an idea, but promise me that you'll tell no one what I'm about to tell you. And so the old tutor began, and he told the story of how this man is evil, he has a harsh nature, and he won't do anyone a favor. But he was able to give him an idea. And the idea was, he said, as a loyal citizen and tutor of the minister, I have special permission to enter the offices of the interior minister whenever I please. He said, I'm going to give you the permit, although it endangers my life. Because if anything happens to you and you're caught, you have to pretend you don't know me and never let anyone know how you got the permit. And he blessed him and wished him well. And the end of the story is that the previous Rebbe prayed hard and he asked Hashem to bless him. And miraculously, he was able to go into the room of the interior minister when nobody was there to find the decree on the pile of papers to be stamped, to stamp it as nullified not approved, and to put it into the other pile and to quickly rush out and nobody found out. Of course, when he came back to his father, he was overjoyed on hearing how Hashem had helped his son succeed in his mission. Of course, the Haskalah members were terribly disappointed that their request was rejected. They could never understand why. But with courage, with Mesiris Nefesh, the Jewish people in the Torah were again saved from spiritual destruction. In every time in our history, we've had challenges. Rebbes have big challenges. We have our challenges too. But the example displayed by the previous Rebbe, the example displayed by great, great sages and leaders, the example displayed by the matriarch Rivka, must inspire us to harness our inner strength to do our part. And no doubt very soon, not only will it be the month of light, but the world will be bathed in light, for the time of Mashiach will be with us. A guten Shabbos, a guten Tomid.